Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is full of gray areas, uncertainty, and quite often fear. Higher Potential with Indeed is here to demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations, groundbreaking ones too. I'm your host, Erin Waddell, Strategic Insights Consultant and DNI Evangelist in Australia for Indeed. I've worked in the recruitment industry in Australia for the last seven years and have been in Australia for 10 years. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing supporting access to employment for people from a refugee or asylum-seeking background. Employment plays a crucial role in helping refugees integrate into the Australian community and build a new life for themselves and their families. And with over 80% of refugees coming into Australia being of working age, it also provides organizations and businesses across the nation with an untapped talent pool. But unfortunately, refugees in Australia continue to face many challenges and barriers when trying to find a job. A survey ran by the Department of Social Services in 2017 found that after being in Australia for 2.5 years, only 25% of refugees had found a permanent role with the majority still working in a casual position. To create a truly inclusive work environment, it's crucial for organizations to put in the work to remove these barriers and ensure refugees and asylum seekers have the same job opportunities as everyone else. To discuss this, today we are joined by Winnetha Bonney, a thought leader in building inclusive cultures and an expert in advancing people of color in leadership and entrepreneurship. Welcome, Winnetha. Thank you for having me. Could you share with us a little bit about your work? Yeah, I am a inclusion expert. So I work with organizations to build a more inclusive culture, but also one that's anti-fragile. So not a, a culture that's you know, full of fear of saying or doing the wrong thing, but a culture that embraces hard conversations, tough conversations and challenges, because as they start to walk through that and breathe through it and actually do the work, then that's the thing that's actually going to make them stronger as a result. And my passion place is really around working specifically with women and people of color to advance in leadership and entrepreneurship and to really create, you know, a sense of, you know, community and support and empowerment around that too. I think that's a really important area of work that probably needs seven to 300 Winnethas out there trying to make sure that this is top of mind. I think it's so great that there are people that are working to try to give women and people of color a wider platform and those opportunities that are just not there for them. I wish that was a area of attention that more people were were into at the moment. And that's how this work started because, you know, I had lived and worked in America and Toronto for a little while and I saw there were 
you know, still there's, there's a long way to go in those respective countries, but at least I was seeing other people that looked and sounded like me that had, you know, curly frizzy hair. And there are more initiatives and programs to, to support people up into leadership that were really nuanced to our needs and our lived experience. And so when I came back to Australia, I started looking around the rooms that I was. And back then I was working in an executive position. And so at an exec level, at a board level, I started noticing actually for the first time that I was the only, and I started reflecting on my experiences past and present about some of the things that I could do to actually move forward in my career. And so that's what really got the ball rolling around some of the initiatives and uh, programs that I run specifically for women and people of colour, because we really like that here in Australia and no one should ever go on this journey alone. So that's specifically um, the main intention of this work. I just want to throw a stat out there because I just think it's, it's, I've experienced, I've been in, in Australia for 10 years myself and I've experienced this in many, many instances, but there was a study done by leanin.org and McKinsey of women at work where they found that 20% of the time a woman is often the only female in meetings or other situations at work, and that increases to 40% for women in senior level positions. So I'm sure you experience this at the C-suite level or executive level. I see it I see it when I work with companies as well, where I'm often the only woman in the room too. Yes, yeah. And that report actually even speaks specifically to women of color, that there are even less than there are some studies that have been done in the US and from an entrepreneurship, you know, if women get X amount of VC funding, women of color get a very, very small, tiny fraction of what all women get. So lots of work, but I see it as an opportunity. So opportunity for, for growth. Huge opportunity, both for women and people of color and companies who can have some really great talent moving sure. up through the ranks or coming in when they realize how important this issue is. So I know we already talked a little bit about research, but there's a lot of research that shows that employing people from diverse minority backgrounds can help businesses in Australia better engage, connect, communicate with their customers and the wider community, which often results in increased revenue and decreased attrition. Could you talk a little bit more about this? Yeah. So I said this actually to a client earlier this week, a very large corporate organization, and uh, it didn't really sound very professional, but it's the truth. And I said that, you know, just because, you know, for example, I uh, define myself as a woman of color doesn't mean that I shoot rainbows out of my butt. You know, it doesn't mean that just because of, you know, my, the label that I place on myself or just because of my skin color and, you know, who I am, my ethnic origins and my ancestral roots doesn't mean that I'm going to come into an organization and all of a sudden make you heaps of money and, and I'm going to stay for the next 20 years. It's because of who I am, how I process information and how I uh, process the experiences, you know, in the world, socially, culturally, and professionally as well. And as a result of that, we see and look through the world in, in a different way. And so in, in inclusion, we call that cognitive diversity. So it's how we process information that actually breeds innovation. So there's actually another piece of research that was done by Harvard that showed that there's actually cognitive diversity that leads to more innovation and creativity, uh, which then leads to, you know, 
large sums of money for corporate organizations and things like that. So it's not necessarily that if you put a whole bunch of people from that have different lived experiences, that your company is automatically going to have, uh, so for example, make more money when we talk about top line revenue, that uh, employee engagement is going to increase and things like that. Uh, what it means is that, you know, we can have a diverse workforce, but if we don't have an inclusive culture, a culture that nurtures our growth and creates space, because that's what all inclusion is. Inclusion is creating space for others to have space. Uh, then, you know, how can we do our best work? How can we bring our ideas, you know, to the table? How can we communicate how we are currently perceiving information or processing that information. So diversity in workforce is just one piece of the puzzle. And unfortunately, what I see with a lot of clients is that they focus 80% of their efforts on creating a more diverse workforce. But at the end of the day, if you do not have an inclusive culture, then that effort is just, is just quite simply wasted effort. I think culture is such an important part of a company. It can make or break a company. Honestly, I really do feel like if you have a bad or a toxic culture, then how are you actually going to continue to operate when you're going to constantly have staff leaving? I think that that's huge. And I think that that actually has to start even at the recruitment phase. I think it's one thing to talk the talk with an inclusion statement at the bottom of your job ad, but it's another thing to actually walk that walk or live those values, as I like to say, where you're not just putting something out there as lip service. You're actually doing the things that you're saying you're setting out to do, and you're giving that space to the people that work for you in the areas that they need to that they need the space. I think one thing that you said that I wanted to touch on was um, if you don't have a diverse workforce, there's probably so many areas that you're completely unaware that you're missing out on from both a culture perspective, a product perspective, and a service perspective, where if you're all kind of the same, then how are you going to speak to customers, job seekers, and people internally that are not like you? I think it's so important to ensure that you are expanding your learning or expanding how you are viewing experiences, not just through your own eyes. I think that's a really important one. Yeah. So we know, um, for example, in the States that uh, people of color will become the majority of the labor force by some sources say 2032 and that women of color specifically, um, some sources say 2044, I think. So I feel like Australia is following a very similar trajectory in terms of uh, our labor force and what that actually looks like. So organizations, I think, would, you know, be very wise to actually look at this at a much more deeper level and start asking some really hard questions around what they're doing to ensure that uh, there is equity and equality for all. And I'd say there also is a lot of barriers to the workforce for people from diverse backgrounds, especially people that are refugees who are coming to countries like Australia, like the US, like Canada, the United Kingdom, and Great Britain to look for a better life from wherever they're coming from. I think that there are many benefits of employing people from diverse backgrounds, people from from a different uh people from different countries who have a unique way of looking at things or a different way of, of operating. But especially there's benefits of employing refugees. 
Why do you think some employers may still be overlooking refugees during the hiring process? And what do you think they can do to combat this or change their mindset? Yeah, so I think there is obviously, uh, I think what a lot of organizations and people are not talking about is the stigma associated with employing refugees. There's this general assumption that they're unqualified, that they may be unable to do their job in whatever capacity, unable to speak English and therefore complete job tasks and things like that. So for example, I've had almost 15 years experience working directly with the community, working with refugee and migrant communities. And in some cases, that is the truth, you know, incredibly traumatized, um, unable to speak English, um, maybe very little to no, you know, formal qualifications, but extremely, extremely hardworking. But for the majority of population, very, very qualified. There are people that have PhDs, uh, maybe multiple degrees and, you know, uh, tertiary qualifications. Uh, that back home, they, you know, they were a highly skilled accountant, Doctor, but for whatever reasons, uh, you know, those qualifications are not formally recognized here in Australia. And then obviously there is, you know, as you, as you would know with your own experience, particularly for someone coming from a completely different culture. So with cultures, we know we have low context cultures and high context cultures. So Australia, I would say is, is low. And if you're coming from a high context cultures, there's really, really dramatic differences. And to migrate here and live here, they're really, really steep, you know, learning curves. So what I am hearing from the community is that they want to work, you know, but they're struggling for those opportunities because those doors are often tightly closed. We need X amount of experience. We need these qualifications. So some of the work that I do with my clients is actually challenging them around, well, do you actually need that master's or that bachelor in X, Y, Z? And does that need to come from an Australian Based university. Um, what are some other ways that an individual can demonstrate their experience? And how about we look at transferable skills as opposed to having, you know, 10, 15 years worth of experience? Because just because a person may have experience doesn't mean that that's an asset that could actually be a deficit because it could mean that they're completely locked into a certain way of thinking and operating and working. Whereas a person with different experiences, maybe from a different industry, might look at that work with a new set of lens, which is all about, you know, cognitive diversity. So what I say to individuals is that they need to actually go meet community where community gathers. If you were sitting in your shrine tower expecting community to come to you, that in, in its essence is, to me as an expert, privilege and power. That's what that looks like. You, you need to be going out to community, you know, connecting with them, listening to their stories and their challenges. They will tell you a lot about what their job experiences have been like. And so because of their struggles in, in finding employment here in Australia, um, for some individuals, their confidence has been chipped away. You know, they might have been a doctor back home, but now um, they're doing a junior admin role and people just treat them like the lowest of the low. And so their confidence has been, you know, eaten away. And so what they need really is someone to provide them with an opportunity to open that door for them, not with the expectation that they would open that door for themselves. So there's lots of opportunities there. And what I always tell um, organizations and clients that I work with is that our job is not to attract them. Our job is to earn their attention and it's to earn their trust. 
So they have been in programs, they have been in initiatives where well-being organizations have wanted them to work with them and then things have not worked out and they've been burnt as a result or perhaps there's been an, an incident because that organization hasn't had or worked on uh, creating a culture that's truly inclusive. And so organizations need to know that if they really want to provide opportunities, particularly for refugees and migrants, their mindset, their intention, their ethos needs to be around earning their attention, not attracting them into their organization. Because like I always say with my work, allyship is about serving. It's not about saving anyone. 100%. In your opinion, what can a company do to ensure accessible and fair communication with refugee workers is still available, even if English isn't their first language, or maybe they are, um, they speak English, but not to the same level as the majority of the employees? Yeah. So definitely, you know, language is a really big one. So if you see a job ad with 10 key selection criterias, uh, and then, you know, above that perhaps sits, I don't know, maybe 20 descriptions about what they're looking for in a job, uh, that's going to overwhelm you and that's going to put you off applying. Uh, other things such as using jargon words, you know, business jargon words, like people say, oh, this piece, I really think that's an interesting piece. I'm like, are you talking about a piece of cake? Like, what are you, ta- what are you talking about? Making sure that, you know, the, the information and the language used is as simplified as possible. So in community work, we would use the term plain English. So just using really plain English, you know, terminology, words, sentence structures, and keep the information really limited to what is the actual essence of the job. The other thing is for people from high context cultures, so specifically people of color, uh, we there's a really big uh, culture around storytelling. So rather than saying, you know, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 uh, Rather than it being a boring job ad, spice it up a little bit. You know, tell us a story around what that skill you're looking for looks like in practice. What's a great example of it? What's what's the opposite of it that you're not looking for? Create a story around what that person might be doing. The other thing is, you know, video. So utilizing video to share with people what the office looks like, who their manager might be. Um, you know, perhaps that manager and saying, Hey, I would love to work with you because as we know, 70% of communication is nonverbal. And if I can see you, hear you kind of sense you, that's going to give me a higher level of, um, trust that I will be okay. Because what, uh, refugees, migrants, people of color are really concerned about is safety, psychological safety, right? So that I'm going to be okay working in this organization, in their culture, with their team and things like that. The other the side of communication is really around distribution. So how are you distributing your job ads? Um, are you putting it on the on different platforms or are you taking those job ads and putting it into the hands of the community? So once again, there's a difference between attraction and, and earning their attention and meeting them where they are, where they are at. So it's, that's a really important thing to do as well. There are many organizations, multicultural organizations, refugee, migrant-based organizations that have a very large database. So take that job ad and then 
you know, send it out to those. Uh, so, with, you know, again, communication distribution channels, send it out to those organizations and ask them to include that in their newsletters, um, you know, wherever they, however they communicate with their, with their clients or their members. So there's things that we can do there as well. But I think video is a really underutilized tool that is actually quite powerful. Um, and the thing that I've seen work really well is when the actual manager, the person that you will be reporting to, talks about the job and some of the job responsibilities and things like that. So I think the main thing is really get really creative, utilize story and keep things as simple as possible. Because if you write things the same old, same old, you will attract the same old. Yep. The visual side of things is so huge. Uh, There is a bank here in Australia that did a first, which was that they created a visual terms and conditions so that it wasn't so hard for people to see a gigantic wall of text about their terms and conditions. They made a comic style terms and conditions, which is, I mean, incredibly helpful for anyone, right? But if you think about the way that you can use visual visuals and video to convey things, um, it's, it just opens up so many more opportunities and it gives people such a better view of what your company, not only what the company, maybe the workspace looks like, but personality, what the company personality is like too. I think there's a huge opportunity there. So other than maybe videos or some of those um, suggestions you said, which are all great, are there any other resources you can think of that a company should be offering to their refugee employees? And, and whose job should it be to lead this? It should always be with someone that has lived experience. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is people not of those backgrounds leading that work and making decisions on behalf of those communities. So for example, I know that in within my local community, you know, food bank are giving away food because of, you know, everything that's going on at the moment. But some members of the community, even though, you know, they wanted the food, like they would rather go starving rather than get food from food bank because it's full of, and using their language and their terms, it's full of white people. And there is a sense of angst, you know, an angst about it. And, and that's a very complex area and then a complex conversation in itself. But when there's another person or member of their community in that space, even if it's just one person, they feel a sense of ease and importantly, a sense of safety and a sense of belonging as well, because they're so used to spaces not belonging for them and making them feel like they are excluded. So one of the things organizations definitely need to do is that they're providing them with people that have lived experience, if they're making decisions about initiatives and programs and things like that, you know, it's coming from someone that has lived experience, but also diversity and exclusion expertise as well. Just because you have lived experience doesn't mean you understand what best practice in diversity and inclusion actually looks like. So I would recommend the two and the two is a really fantastic formula. The other thing that they need to be providing to provide more opportunities for refugees and migrants and people of color is to think about those job recruitment channels. So for example, university, you would have an open day. If you have a large number of roles or even, you know, five and upwards, I would recommend having an employment day. So perhaps you've networked with some of those organizations that serve those populations, so multicultural people and people from refugee migrant backgrounds. They've then spoken to them, connected with them and said, hey, this job opportunity has come up. This organization is having a day, a welcome day. You can go in and you can see what it's like. And if you're happy, then you can apply for the job. 
So I would suggest for organizations to think a little bit outside the box about how they do recruitment. So you could have like your own version of an open day where individuals from those specific communities get to come into the workplace. They get to physically walk around if you have a physical office, meet other people in the workplace, perhaps they'll hear from another employee that has a similar background for them. And then they'll be invited to apply for a job, but there will be people on hand to help them with the job application and also answer any questions that they have. And perhaps there might be other employees that come in and show them how, what it looks like to do that, that job or what it looks like to do that task and what it feels like to do that specific job as well. So there's different things that we can do. Um, definitely internships work as well. Um, providing scholarships for people to study or to gain skills is also really effective, but the number one tool because we can get people into roles, but if they're not moving up the ranks, then obviously that's problematic as well. So the the other thing that's really effective and it's backed by research is mentoring and uh, sponsorship as well. So we create a, a program where people from those backgrounds can be mentored, but importantly be sponsored by someone within the organization to move upwards and move in a, in a way that or direction that's meaningful to them then that's a really effective way of engaging and retaining employees. Do you have any recommendations for companies that might not be large enough to have a dedicated person or people to do an open day? Maybe it's a smaller, maybe small to medium business. Getting started is is really the hard thing. Once you get people in, word goes around the community pretty fast and provided they have a safe and inclusive experience, they will let other people in the community know. It doesn't take a lot of money. It just takes elbow grace. It takes intention and it takes time and it takes effort. To get things done, anyone that's had an entrepreneurial background will know that you don't have to have large sums of money. There are plenty of people that have bootstrapped their way up to creating an amazing company. Anything can be done. Anything is possible. Everything that we have now, the housing structures, everything came from a, from a single idea. Anything is anything is possible. You just need to think outside the box and be incredibly resourceful. But the number one thing you will need to invest in is time, energy, and effort. I fully agree with that sentiment of you don't need huge sums of money to accomplish great things. I think... Thinking outside the box is such an important thing when it comes to almost anything. You can accomplish almost anything that you want if you can think creatively. Employing refugees allows us to bring our social conscience to work and live it every day. Why do you think this is important? One life. One of the things I've been reading lately is some of the listeners might have heard this or know this already is the 15 commitments of conscious leadership you know, look, I've had several businesses. I've worked in executive level. I've been a CEO of other people's businesses. I love business. I've been geeking out on it since I was 15 years old. Like it's my number one, number one life uh, passion, if you want to call it that. But it's at the end of the day, it's all about human connection. We've learned that through COVID. You know, if you don't have human connection and adding value to someone's life, then what's, what's the point? What's the purpose of everything that we do? It is all about human connection. 
And at the end of the day, I genuinely think people forget that refugees are humans just like us who have family drama just like we do, who have a favorite TV show, who probably have gripes about certain things just like we do. It's it's just that they have a different background. I'm saying this as somebody who moved to this country 10 years ago. It's not an us and them thing. We're all in it together. And as soon as we can move away from that us and them mentality, it's just going to improve for everyone. And the amount we can learn is going to be so much more than we ever knew we could. Yeah. human. I mean, refugees and migrants are not some alien in population. They're just another demographic of our community that have had a different set of life experiences, perhaps, you know, because of war, you know, they, um, and they've had to leave their culture. They have had to leave their country. They have, it's not been by choice. It's not been a privileged, you know, decision that they've made. And they've come here to create a, a better life for themselves, for their families, and to also earn money to help, um, those back home who perhaps, you know, um, are really are struggling under those situations. So it's just us. You know, one of the things I really like about remote-based working is it answers uh, something in inclusion that we call location bias. So when we uh, create an organization that employs people from different geographic areas, remote areas, rural areas, we're taking away some of that power and privilege that we've placed on the job, saying that you need to live and, you know, be physically located in Melbourne. And that money then goes to those individuals living in those countries that helps them support maybe their family or extended family. And economically, that area, that country has a better chance at prospering as well. And you have such a wider talent pool if you are not looking for someone in a static location. I talk about this all the time. We have unfortunately come to the end of our chat, which I feel like we could have just kept going and going. But the final question, the final question, which is how we finish every episode of Higher Potential with Indeed, is what do you think it will ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? To do all things with kindness. So I always say to organizations, because everyone gets really, really, I call it ants in the pants. It's like they've got ants in the pants and they're just fidgeting um, in my training sessions and things like that because they're scared, scared of doing, saying the right, you know, the right or wrong thing, even to me. <laughs> um, and I always say to individuals that it's not about what's good and bad, what's right or wrong. It's about what is kind. So with all things, do everything with kindness towards yourself and towards others, regardless of history, circumstance, situation. Always ask yourself, what is the kind thing to say? What is the kind thing to do? No better advice I don't think you could give. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being here, Winnetha. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description to fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guest do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, 
All content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.